Food Lovers Everywhere. You're listening to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Hag. And uh, if you, you're not going anywhere, we have two books for you uh, and also related video uh, to talk about new ones today. First off, um, really dear to us is Kate McDermott. And uh, I have a question. Who doesn't love pie? <laughs> Kate is the ultimate pie baker. She lives in Pie Cottage, and she has videos and books. Uh, we're currently talking to her about Pie Camp, which she also does. That's her latest book out. Let's listen to Kate. I tell you, Kate McDermott, this book, Pie Camp, is sort of like you. <laughs> it's no-nonsense um straightforward but a little whimsical as well <laughs> and i love this oh, book thank you so much ann i really uh i put my heart and soul into all my books and this one i th- i think of them all as my my daughters my and they're like yeah. three sisters and but i have to tell you that my youngest daughter here uh pie camp i am so proud of her oh, it's so gorgeous of first of all i mean the, the publisher actually put in some money to put printing it really good huh i have a dream team i have been with countryman press which is w norton i've been with them for all three books and with the same team i am so fortunate so lucky to have the team i do and your photographer is wonderful andrew scrivani i don't think it gets any better no i think he's he's photographed other books that we've reviewed but 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 the best thing is the print is so large you can actually read it without your glasses. <laughs> For those of us who can't see with our glasses or can't see without them at this age, yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm well, listeners, just like you are. Listeners, Kate McDermott uh, also is um, The Art of the Pie, which we interviewed her before. And she's she actually runs Pie Camp. She's in... In, uh, where where do you say Washington State? I when am I, on the Olympic Peninsula. I'm in Port yeah. Angeles, Washington, which is right across. Yeah, I've been okay, there. I've, just, I've actually been there. Well, have you we? did stop by for a piece of pie. No, I've I've, I've, I've actually been there because I was traveling a lot to to Seattle and then over to the eastern part of Washington State, working on a big project, and the. The, the way to get home at the end of each trip was a red eye, but everybody associated with the project had already gone home, so I used to drive the Olympic Peninsula quite often. So I would drive down oh, yeah. to state, drive down to Olympia, the state capital, then drive up the other side, and then, the and, then come across, and then come across the top. Yes, yes. Well, it's a beautiful drive. Yeah, yeah, it really well, is. Well, this book is subtitled "The Skills You Need to Make Any Pie You Want," and I don't think you left anything out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I tried my best to. Um, uh, I went back into the kitchen on this one, and I was up to my elbows in pie dough and roll-out crust and press-in crust and chiffons and custards and fruit pies and making ice cream and. I, yeah, there's I ice cream in here, too, and garnishes for your pies, and, and yes, fancy I, lattice work for for open space or with lattice stop pies that are awesome. I mean, the one on the cover has, oh, it's, it's a pattern. 
it has a wide strip of the lattice, and then it has matching narrower strips, and then it has three sections, and then it has braids, and it's braided. Sometimes you braid around. It's absolutely a work of art. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. Uh, thank I love you it. from the bottom of my heart. <laughs> well, you know, um, I like your, your everybody writes their uh, essential tools things, but the, the fr- number one in your seven essential pie tools is my favorite, hands. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I truly think that uh, we forget how important our hands are uh, because they can check the, the sensitivity of, of uh, temperature and texture um, and, and you never lose them. <laughs> yeah, well, we hope not anyway. <laughs> and then you have yeah. pictures of, of the tools that you use. And I had never seen this thing that's like, it's like those little safety gates I had when Adam was little. It's called a multi-wheeled lattice cutter. Yes. I can't even uh, picture how it works. Okay, so uh, lattice cutters, it, it's kind of a, a, an expandable and retractable um, a metal gizmo. It looks almost like, you know, like the old baby gates that we used to put up. And on That's the what end I said, the baby has, gates. Yeah. And then it has um, these um, uh, sharp wheels like a pizza cutter. So you can expand or contract the, this to make thin strips or thick strips. And then you just roll out your dough and roll your multi-wheel lattice cutter over it, and you get the exact same size strip with each cut. Well, that's okay. brilliant. It really is brilliant. So, okay. so it sounds, sounds a little bit like Thomas Jefferson's writing machine. I think so, yes, yes. And you're, I think you're, from, you're familiar with that? that? Oh, absolutely I am, yes. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. You're a good, you're a good American. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Now, the, this, um, my basics, it, it seems, I mean, you explain it so well, and yet I love the, um, the you quote, the, uh, what's his name, Ken, Kenji? Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, pastry, uh, pie dough can sense fear. I love that. <laughs> yes. Uh, he, he said uh, that um, pie crust can sense fear, and he, he said in his comments about Pie Camp that uh, the book, Pie Camp, is here to banish it. And um, I, it was, <laughs> I, I truly do feel that I, I agree with that. I think if you, um, um, you want to think about other things of how successful you can be and um, if there's something that goes wrong, I kind of, or is different than what you imagine it, your pie or your crust is going to turn out like. I just think of it as a very creative outcome, and I call it something else. <laughs> so, sometimes, it can, sometimes those um, those creative endeavors can turn out to be the best crisp or crumble you've ever had. Really? <laughs> you know, I, I kind of thought that, uh, what's that thing I asked you about, Rabbit, the... Um Buckle. I thought that was kind of like a you know, crustata, except it turns out it's really cake, not pie dough. Mm-hmm. A, mm-hmm. a buckle. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I'm yes. intrigued by by a sonker. Oh, yeah. A sonker, yes, yes. So what um, the hell is a sonker? <laughs> well, those are there's only uh, several counties in North Carolina that have the sonker, and um, I learned about them from um, a friend of mine who's also a food person, Jenny Field, and um, who's uh, who kindly uh, kept me uh, posted on her her. Uh, following the the North Carolina Surrey County Sonker Trail that she uh, <laughs> took one weekend, who, who knew, right? And so she was posting these pictures and uh, talking about these sonkers, and I was like, "What the heck is this?" So I started doing research, and Jenny and I talked a lot. So I created um, this a sonker, which basically it's a fruit filling that um, has kind of like a almost like a rolled out biscuit dough topping that's cut in strips also placed along the sides and then the thing about it is that this very very juicy filling is served with a very sweet sauce which is a dip and that sweet sweet sauce is a milk dip it's and it's just so delicious it's it's become uh, it's very easy uh, and it's become a, a favorite in my house or, you know, uh-huh. when I could actually have people over. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, how do you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, another thing I like is your three rules of pie-making in life. Well, thank you. Yes, those, those rules are ones that um, I find are very helpful in um, almost like in a daily basis of, you know, keep everything chilled, especially yourself. Uh, that certainly is so with pie dough, but, you know, ourselves too. And then to keep our boundaries, um, and all that means, you know, not to overfill your pie pan so that you have a clean-the-oven pie. Um, and then the third one, of course, is to vent. Um, and we must have vents on our fruit pies so that um, uh, we just we need those vents too. And I think that venting in an appropriate way is an excellent life lesson also. Yes, yes, yes. That's sort, of like sort of like a pie bird, right? Uh, yeah. Well, now just yeah. cutting, it's the same thing. I mean, it lets the steam out. But, yeah, you it, you do it like you can split the top, you know, of the, of the yes, dough. Now, my, of course, with fruit pies, with fruit pies, I mean, when my mother would uh, bake the fruit pie, we would turn off the alarm system. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yes, yes. Um, I've, uh, and get the um, get the fans out, open the windows, and uh, fan that stuff out. <laughs> yes, exactly. Now, uh, you explained some things that I didn't know about um, flaky or tender. Mm-hmm, I mean the mm-hmm. difference. And uh, yes. I didn't. I never knew that. Yes. Yeah, so a flaked pastry, um, it's made of layers of dough. And you have to have enough uh, water in the dough so that when you put it into a hot oven, that that uh, it will steam your layers apart. You want to think of this almost like um, uh, when we make croissants and all those millions of layers. Now, we don't have quite that many when we're making a flake pie dough, but it's the same kind of... of, theory of uh, that liquid that steams your layers apart. And um, the flake pastry um, 
it holds its shape quite well, and but a tender pastry uh, is more of like I would think of as a, a short pastry, um, and I think of um, it's they're more coated with fat. Every uh, what I mean by that is every piece of flour is coated with fat. It's um, it's just a little bit of a greasier dough. It's an easy dough to make, uh, but you it's a denser dough. It's it's uh, kind of think shortbread for a moment there. Uh, and then translate that on uh, a little bit onto the top of the right. pie. It's a very tasty dough. It's it's wonderful, and I love them both. Now, Kate, when when you when you say fat, you, you just use that word generically to describe wh- whatever fat kind of thing, like butter, you're actually using in your dough. Absolutely, that okay. can be she, butter. She, what, and you're a lard plus butter mixture, right? I do um, I do them all now, and so uh, I do an all butter. I do um, I do lard and butter. If someone wants um, to use a off the shelf shortening, I would yeah, my mother used have to use shortening. Crisco, and of course that's yes. really frowned upon now. But it was a well, flaky crust. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But the it's butter fun. crust, which is stiffer, actually tastes better, right? Well, in in, yes. in England, in England, the preferred fat is lard. lard. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. In fact, I had not a clue. Uh, Peter's mother wanted me to make a pie that she had had here. <laughs> I had no idea how I was going to make it because they didn't have any of the stuff that I knew went into a pie in England. Wow. I certainly had never considered using lard. This was a long time ago. Well, it's but, and I specifically use. I use specifically use leaf lard, which is uh, you know from yeah. a specific area um, from uh, from the pig, and it's it's highly prized by pie makers. There's no flavor to it. It's very white. Um, it's, it's yeah. I, I never um, knew that you could taste the, the pork in in uh, lard. I mean, uh-huh. I, I never tasted it. All of Peter's relatives use lard in baking in, in the UK. Yeah, you buy you, you buy your lard at a butcher shop. You don't buy it at the, gro- yes. the grocery store. You buy it at the butcher. And the butchers in and uh, were are those who make the pie. And what they? You do have a history of the pie here, but I don't. I didn't know you had that part in. Mm-hmm. Well, that's I. That's um, I went to um, I went to uh, Great Britain um, to the School of Artisan Food to teach there, and I was very. This was. Oh my goodness! Now about eight or nine years ago, and I was so fortunate to learn how to make hand raised pork pies. Um, oh, that's and, right! Oh, there you you know, go. Yeah, yeah. That's a big thing um, there. You know the it you, is. You, know, you know the funny thing, Kate. I learned I learned only only just like within the last couple of years, we had a, we had a guest on the program who, for some reason, including in their, their skill set, included pork pies, but I didn't. I didn't realize that you put the gravy in after the after the pork pie is cooked. That's right. Like you, that inject, you, inject, you inject it into yes. the pie. With a turkey baster. Whatever tool you have available, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, 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 thought, I thought the fat rendered out of the meat as the pie was cooking. Uh, yeah. No, that's... You put that um, you put that in, and then you have the jelly around the uh, around right, the, right, exactly. The filling is the uh, other big winner is 
fish pies. They're big on fish pies there. Yeah. And those pies I have in my first book, Art of the Pie, uh, my new book, Pie Camp, um, this is totally sweet pies for the time. Sweet pies, yeah. Um, you also have, this is very useful, uh, different sections of pictures, a pictorial guide mm-hmm. to making um, the, the, the dough and the this and the that. So it's your hands. Those are your hands? Those are my hands. Uh, I go to New York. I actually sleep in the photo studio. I'm there for a week. Actually, this this book took two weeks of, of shooting, and we did it oh, in two boy. separate weeks. And so I actually uh, there's a little uh, there's a little pullout bed, and I am in the studio from the time I, I arrive on a Sunday night. We start shooting on a Monday, and we go straight through to Friday, and then I'm on a plane on Saturday morning. And we did that. Yeah, uh, it's strenuous. It's food shoots yes, it the is. worst. Yeah, the food. And so those shoots. are those are my hands, and I made every every single pie and uh, that you see, every single thing that is oh, in wow. uh, that's represented in all of my books are made with my hands. Wow. You know who else? So does I, that I, is... I have to laugh. I have to laugh, and I have a, a food. What is it called? I'm a food. I have a food stylist credit for all the books. <laughs> Not a photo stylist credit, but a food stylist credit. Oh, how funny. Yeah, no, no, he's an Lydia Bastianich does that with her cookbooks, of which she has many, as you know. And oh, she yes. said people are always commenting on her hands. And, and, and it's true. They become almost like a character, a friend that you recognize mm-hmm. when you see so much of them. Yeah. Yeah. Just tell me this. I, I, I wasn't sure about this one cup out dough. Explain that, yes. and does it really work? Yes, it does, uh, first of all. So the one-cup out dough um, has become actually one of my favorite doughs. And in this dough, um, as you know, when we add water to flour in a pie dough uh, that and mix it, that is when we make gluten. And if you mm-hmm. mix that dough too much, you can make too much gluten, and that's what makes a dough tough. So... In the one cup out dough, we pull out, before we even add the water or the fat, we pull out one cup of flour and set it aside. Then we coat the remaining flour with all of the butter and uh, lard or whatever you're putting in there. You coat it as if you were coating the flour almost like a raincoat, okay? Now you put that one cup of flour back in, and then you uh, fluff it around a bit and then add the water. Now the water is only going to mix with that one cup of dry flour, so it only has a chance to make gluten with that smaller amount. And it's, it's a fabulous dough. And I have to tell you that when I do this with an all-butter dough, I now get that tender, flaky, multi-layer dough that which I love, I love. we search for. How did you learn all this stuff, Kate? Oh, well, she's been doing it for uh, her whole life. Her grandmother taught her, right? She, 
my grandmother Gigi was uh, was the start of this. I, I watched her at uh, you know her elbow, and she would just say, "Well, you know, how about you add this in this time and and put that in?" And I remember you know feeling those and watching her do things. And then uh, I made I baked always for my family when I was when they were a young family, of course. And then um, about 20 years ago or so, I just got totally bit by the pie bug of okay let's see how to make this dough and that dough and does it need vodka or not or does it need um, cream cheese or not and uh, so I spent a two and a half year period first learning it just to make you know one of the best doughs that I could and then uh, started teaching that which was my art of the pie uh, camps and then I went back into the kitchen for this new book and continued to learn and learn and learn. And I truly do not feel it is possible for one person to know everything about pie that there is to know and learn in one lifetime. Well, I don't know. I mean, there's things that I never even thought of that you bring up such as um, the type of apples to use an apple pie, probably the most basic pie anybody ever thought of. And well, there's even, right. one that even, keeps I, even I know that. They're called Bramley's. Uh, yes. <laughs> she yes. has well, a section on Bramley. I do indeed. That's, that's a wonderful apple for baking with. It's the traditional apple in, in, uh, in your native country. Yes, I know, um, I know. But I like to have a variety of apples in my That's pie. what I was referring to. Yeah, I never some even thought tea, of doing that. Some for tarts, some that hold their shape, and some that don't. And yep. so it becomes both a flavor sensation and a textural sensation. Mm-hmm. Right. Amazing. Now, something I didn't know about you is that you actually um, are gluten-sensitive or insensitive. I don't know what the terminology is here. So well, you have a whole, you were diagnosed, you said. Yes, um, I was diagnosed. I do have celiac disease. So when I went through the process of creating recipes for this book, I created them all first gluten-free and then They're turned all them gluten. gluten-full. No, no, it's not, not quite that. When I, when I was creating them and going through my testing to create the recipes and testing them, I create and test gluten-free. Then I go through again and turn them into gluten-full with AP flour, all-purpose flour. So they're tested again. And then I have a willing uh, group of, of tasters and testers who, are, um, who then test them being uh, gluten-full with all-purpose uh, flour. But that must have been a, a, a bolt of lightning for you, a baker, to know that you have a gluten intolerance or gluten sensitivity. Oh, let me tell you, it was. It was. I can remember the exact day, the exact moment, exactly where I was when I received the phone call from my doctor, and she said, uh, you know, the, the upshot of the phone call, and she said, stop eating gluten. And I was like, okay. Well, okay, so, but I didn't let that stop me. I just said, okay, fine, I'm going to learn how to make the best gluten-free pie that I can. And I well, thought that's that amazing. I had. Amazing. So, um, just, you know, I'd like to run through with you so many types of, of different pies in here. You have um, the, the basics, and then you have the uh, fruit pies. 
then you have what are some of the other ones here? Oh, you just, just oh. most people don't even know what pectin is, but you you <laughs> tell us that too. There's some yeah. stuff you tell us, and and, and there. And I mean, I, this is the first I've actually had vinegar pie. Believe it or not, it's the first time I've seen it in a, in a pie baking book. Yeah, it's it's almost like a uh, it, it almost has a flavor profile of just you know like a lemon, uh, mm-hmm. which is you know just just wonderful. And I can only imagine that when lemons were not available uh, to maybe our great grandmothers at, at certain times, you know maybe through the depression or whatever. But you know if you had Maybe you had some vinegar to, to flavor the pie with, and like, okay, let's use what we have. My grandmother Amazing. would have like, let's use what we have, and it's is it a really southern? Is it southern? Uh, I, you know, I can't, I don't know if it's southern or whether it's um, um, kind of like in the in the heartlands of, of the United States. Okay, and, and you even go into. Um, yeah, Celo, which you, fortunately, thankfully, yeah. you do not ask anybody to make. <laughs> uh, I've known people who that? make it. <laughs> what? No, I know people who make it. I mean, oh old God. Greek ladies make it. <laughs> that, those are artisans. Those are, um, I bow down before them. That's amazing. <laughs> I remember working with the frozen Celo which you have to keep covered with a damp cloth or it dries off and crumbles. My mother and totally. I working together, we had to make, um, what was it, 400 tarts of phyllo. <laughs> oh, with something. goodness. Yeah. And it was, like, well, it was like hours and like Chinese water torture. It was horrible. Oh, gosh. Well, when I use phyllo, though, when I'm working with it, I always say the words, Light, 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 butter, 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 light, 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 you know, and, and butter, 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 as I'm brushing each layer, you know, and uh, and that, I'll tell you, I think those words work. <laughs> it's like, you know, the singing uh, happy birthday to you twice when you're washing your hands. My latest game is I make up the names, happy birthday too. But the one that keeps coming up the most is pandemonium. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> so, and I wanted to ask here about how you made this honey walnut orange pie. Yes. Um, well, the honey walnut uh, orange pie—it truly it did come to me in a dream. You and said that. I got yeah. I got up one morning and just thought, I wonder. You know, I had some orange blossom honey in my uh, in my pantry. And I thought, and I had some tulip dough, and I thought, what can I do with this? So I started just putting things into the bowl. I put in, you know, that that uh, I had eggs and some melted butter and some, I had orange blossom water and orange zest, and I thought, oh, a little cardamom, and I just started mixing things together. And um, as I was, you know, just before I, or as I was doing this, um, Judy Collins' song came on, Cook with Honey, and I thought, okay, this is an affirmation <laughs> that I'm doing this, okay. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Anyhow, well, this is a wonderful book. I've already talked to a, a chef friend who has a, um, a, a, a sort of a takeout bakery and a snack place called Pie for Breakfast. And I, I told him he had to get this book. <laughs> And don't don't, uh, well, don't, I, don't, don't forget I, about don't don't forget about the videos. 
the videos. You can sign up. You can sign up to go online. Oh right. Yes. Tell us. Tell us what to do. Okay. So uh, for the um, so I teach. Uh, uh, I, I pivoted to the virtual world in my teaching. So I offer uh, pie camps that um, are virtual pie camps and. Uh, so what I have found from people who do sign up for these, which you can sign up at uh, um, at dot com, and uh, people are absolutely loving that they are working in their own kitchens along with me in my kitchen, using their own equipment and baking in their own ovens. And it's been fabulous. We've been able actually even to do things like troubleshooting for people who are baking at different altitudes. So uh, at one class I had um, uh, someone as high as 8,600 feet, and then there was someone in the 5,000, oh, wow. someone in the 3,500. So we were able actually in the class to be troubleshooting um, their bake. And oh, I've wonderful. had people as come to the classes as far away as Dubai, and it's just in oh, all wow. of the United States and Canada. It's just, and in Europe, it is, I am so grateful that, I can reach more people. Yeah, this is true with that right now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> she's, not, she's, not very, she's not very good with pie. <laughs> let, let, let's, let's just let's, let's just say she she might she might need a voice. It's Kate McDermott's pie camp. Just wonderful. Thank you. And may I say one last thing? Yes. Be happy. Stay home. Make pie. <laughs> okay, I'm. Okay, it's the right I'm time hit, for the pie. I'm going to hit the stop button. Okay. Podcasting services for On the Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station. www.aspstation.net. Next up, we have not an old friend, but he's going to be a good bud now that we've met him because he's um, smart, he's witty, and he's a ton of fun. And he's he's everywhere, by the way. And he is everywhere. (laughs) It's Ollie Smith from England. Um, His latest book is Fizz, 80 Joyful Cocktails and Mocktails for Every Occasion. And certainly we welcome a little... Visiting our lives right now, so let's listen to Ollie. Yeah, now Ollie Smith, um, a big name in this um, on the booze world, um, is also totally entranced by bubbles. Your latest book is called Fizz: Eighty Joyful Cocktails and Mocktails for Every Occasion. Uh, congratulations on your book, and it's. It's, it's interesting to put it all in perspective. It's not just all about alcohol, is it? Yeah, that's right. Thanks for having me on the show. I, I wanted to write uh, a book about the, the really the joy of bubbles because, you know, every time I've enjoyed a glass of fizz in my life, you know, it kind of signifies a celebration. But you're absolutely right. It doesn't have to have booze in it. So I took great, uh, great pride, actually, in finding some recipes that would be just as full of flavor and deliver all of those thrills of a magnificent cocktail without relying on the booze. 
And I think, you know, one of, the, one of the lovely things, actually, about making any sparkling cocktail is that the base fizz will have a very different impact on the texture of the drink, on the kind of root flavors of the drink. So, for example, a, a cava from Spain is going to be a lot more savory uh, than, say, a Prosecco from Italy. And they feel very different as well. So this really is just an easy guide to uh, a shortcut, if you like, to 80 joyful moments right at your fingertips. But, but, let's, but let's put some stakes in the ground. First of all, are you, are you named after the Ollie of Oliver and Hardy? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. My brother and I loved Laurel and Hardy growing up. And uh, actually, my brother then went into doing stand-up comedy and kind of ran away to Hollywood. He's, uh, he's won a couple of Emmys for writing on shows like Veep oh, wow, with HBO amazing. and all sorts of things. Yeah, so it's a great question, actually, because comedy did you know, play a big part in my life. And actually, before I started writing and uh, talking about um, wine and booze and fun things like that on the TV and writing about it, I actually used to write uh, children's cartoons, animations, you know, on the TV. So uh, I don't know if you've uh, seen Pingu the Penguin or Charlie and Lola. Wallace and Gromit you've probably come across. I, uh, yeah, I did a day of work. Yeah, the name, yeah. The so, name is so familiar. It's a, a checkered history. Yeah, but Ollie, no, it's one of those funny names, actually. When I was growing up in the 1970s, Oliver was uh, not a very common name. But I'm told it's one of the most popular names out there now in the UK, so I don't know if that's transmitted around the world. But uh, Yeah, I, anyway. our cousin named her, her uh, son, the second one, Oliver. And what was the first one was really funny? Barney. Oh, right, right, right. You know, I had a dog, yeah. I had a dog called oh, she's Barney. English. Uh, it's, it's another... It's a, yeah, there you go. These are all quite English jolly. Yeah, that's what I think. Having a, having a name like Ollie is, uh, is it does rhyme with jolly, so people do call me Jolly Ollie, which must be inferior <laughs> for everyone else. For, for, the, for, those, for those people who, across the world who don't, who don't know Ollie and Stan, Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy were a stand-up comedy routine for probably 40 or 50 years. Going, they going were a while ago. <laughs> a little going while back ago, almost to the, the 19th thing, century. Yeah, well, the thing I loved about Laurel and Hardy, they took the kind of silent yeah. movies and musical traditions and brought them, you know, in, into the next kind of phase of cinema. And, and their, their movies are really warm-hearted, you know, that's the thing I love about them. And you just cannot help but feel uh, a sense of empathy with those two whenever they get into the scrapes that they find themselves. But very funny duo, yeah. Anyway, From my not... childhood, we had um, uh, sock hand puppets after a show that was Kukla, Fran, and Ollie, and Ollie was the whatever it was. We never knew what it was that talked. And it really? moved to your hands. <laughs> but but, but, yeah, but anyway, fun names. aside from doing stand-up comedy and being called Ollie, what do you do for a living? You You, you, do, you do something about beverages, and that's why we're talking today, because you wrote a definitive book on the subject of cocktails. But this is it. Yeah, this is it. This is a great question. So I started my career in booze actually working in a wine shop called Orange and Company Vintners, and and my job there was was to deliver boxes of wine and and other booze, but mainly wine, uh, to the customers. And I was probably 18 at the time, um, you know, kind of had my, uh, just fresh out of school going on to university, and I fell in love with the stories that these bottles would tell from around the world. So I'd, I'd learn about their flavors uh, from the origins. So, for example, you know, if, if you're drinking a Rioja, a red wine from Spain, you know, it's named after the place, and it tastes a certain way because of 
the grapes that they grow there, the blend that they use, and how they age the wine. And I found all of those cultural sort of signifiers and the depth behind it really fun. And I wanted to make wine feel accessible. So uh, the long and the short of it is I entered a, a TV competition in my 20s called Wine Idol, which was a bit like Pop Idol, except nobody saw it, I think, is the, uh, the only other <laughs> non-similarity. But I won this competition and I, I got a job actually presenting on satellite TV. And then one thing led to another. I got uh, picked up by another couple of broadcasters. And all this while, you know, I was kind of doing my qualifications in wine and then yeah i started being the columnist for the men on sunday here in the uk uh got a, a job working on the bbc and you know, presenting wine on one of their flagship shows which i've been doing for about 11 years and obviously presenting events and i now have uh, some wine bars on cruise ships as well which i love so any opportunity really whether it's in person on the radio on a podcast you know i love podcasts as well i, I do a podcast called a glass with and uh, I share a kind of glass with, with you know, someone well-known and, and talk about their love of booze. So however it comes across, whatever the opportunity, I've just always felt there's something convivial about being down-to-earth about the subject because it's all too easy, as I'm sure you guys know, to get carried away and you can become as into, into it as you like. But really, the bottom line is, you know, whether it is a, a cocktail that's sparkling, a nice glass of fizz, or, or whether it's just a, a nice cold glass of beer on a, on a hot day, you know, I think it's invigorating, it's exciting, and it's the stuff of life that really brings us together. Now, you, you start out with, with some fundamentals, things, things you need to know if you're going to be serious about the cocktail business. That's it, yeah. So there's, uh, you call, you there's call a... You call it methodology. That's a, that's a nice long word, methodology to mixology. <laughs> <laughs> Hell of a chapter here. Yeah, so there's a bit of... Lovely. I, I do love a good heading. So methodology to mixology, exactly that. It's all the stirring, the muddling, the building, how to shake a cocktail, how to dry shake it. So it's a little bit of technique uh, to just give you that bit of confidence to take your cocktails to the next level. And then really what I try to do is, is give you some base uh, ingredients and some reductions and syrups and so forth that you could use in a wide variety of cocktails and indeed use them, you know, in your kind of daily life, you know, for a wide range of uses. So I've divided up the chapters really by occasion, you know, so whether it's um, you know, fizz for a feast, if you're going to have people round and you want some big flavoured cocktails for some uh, digestifs, or, or whether it's, you know, something like festivals and celebrations or parties and picnics, you know, batch making lots of cocktails in jugs so that everybody can enjoy the same drink, that will all taste the same. So every single chapter offers something slightly different and has a different emphasis. Um, and also, you know, I've, I've tried to make you know, the information on showing which glass to use, a little bit fun. Yeah, you use little, little icons to do that. Yeah, you like that. I think, I think it's rather fun because sometimes these things can get really heavy and actually, you know, it's an approximation. You know, if you, if you would like to use a wine, wine glass is actually generally a really good. Um, but also how intense the cocktail tastes. Because that's information that quite often when you're reading a recipe in a cocktail book, that it's quite hard to make out. So I've got a very simple key, you know, three bubbles. You know, one bubble's pretty mild, the next bubble's pretty pokey, and the third one is absolutely full-on flavour. So you know where you stand <laughs> yeah. with the intensity of each one. Well, now, interesting, I'm on page seven. I didn't get that far into it oh, yeah. yet. But, but you have what you call triple tips. Oh, yeah. <laughs> suggestions to make sure that your cocktail is successful from a theoretical it, standpoint. Yeah. Yes, that's right. And I think, you know, a little bit of information, actually, and a few pointers can really help people 
to, to, to go the full distance. Like, you know, one of the very simple ones to remember, especially, you know, if it's a hot day, is with ice. In, in, you know, in, in the vast majority of cases, if you are adding ice to a cocktail, just leave lots of room at the top of the drink for ice, because if the ice isn't touching the bottom of the glass, generally speaking, you want more ice in there to get the right proportion of dilution and also to keep it chilled. You know, you want your drink cold. Um, so, yeah, these little tips can be really helpful. And I just wanted to kind of put in there all the all the kind of knowledge that I've accumulated over the years and make it super accessible, really simple, and something that everyone can have a go at. Talk, talk, talk to me about these great big cubes of ice that seem to be very popular yes. in, in expensive yeah, we cocktail. Have, you know, we have a thing for making those, by the way, Robert. Yeah, we yeah, do. There's, there's various ways, actually. It's quite fun if you go online. There's various uh, really quite good kind of guides as to how to do if you want to do them at home. And really, if you have a little cool box and you fill it with water and put it in the fridge, what happens is the uh, it settles so that the top part of it gets really, really clear. Um, and I think big key device for me, I, you know, it can be a real statement piece when you're out in a restaurant or you're going to a bar, you know, to get a big sphere of ice or a great big cube. But at home, actually, if you've just got good quality ice, uh, you know, it can it can really make the difference between just an okay cocktail um, and, a, and a really, really good one. So, you know, rinse off the frosting, you know, is a great one at home. It's a real shortcut, and that'll just prevent the drink from, you know, diluting more quickly. So it maximizes your flavor. And actually, you know, in some drinks over the years, I mean, everybody loves a gin and tonic. You know, I don't know if you've ever tried freezing your tonic in an ice cube tray, but it just is one of those little tips that it ensures that the drink stays at an ice cold temperature, you don't get any dilution of flavour. In fact, those ice cubes of tonic water, they melt as the drink goes on, and it's just something a little bit different. And if you're having an informal party, they're not going to be the clearest ice cubes in the world, but the flavour, oh, more than makes up for it. No kidding. The, the, the really funny thing that we observed on our various visits to Spain is why is the gin and tonic is so popular in Spain and we, un- we don't understand why. Do you, do, you, do you have a clue? I have a clue. I have a clue because my wife, Sophie, lived in uh, Seville for a while. And my only clue is to this is that the Spanish farmen have a wonderful habit of not really measuring the gin. So it kind of, you know, just keep pouring and then add a slice of tonic. <laughs> I suspect that might be the reason why they're so popular. But Spain's great for cocktails, actually. And, and you know, if you do like a, a gin and tonic, you know, there's a great Spanish drink called a Rebujito which is basically dry sherry, a fino sherry, topped up with some lemonade, and if you've got a, some mint in there, a slice of lemon, some ice, it's fine. Put it in a jug. You know, proportion-wise, you know, it could be one to four. I like it a bit stronger, actually, one to three. But fino sherry, really savoury and lovely, intense flavour to it. But yeah. top it up with Sprite or lemonade. My word, the Rebojito. I had it down at the Ferrier in Seville, which is this Easter kind of festival they have. And everybody just kept on dancing throughout the night. That stuff is disco juice. It's marvellous. <laughs> now, now, a real staple of the cocktail movement, and all, not, not necessarily perhaps the first ever invented, but pretty close, is the Negroni. Yes. Are you a fan? I love the Negroni. I really like bitter flavours, and I really love... Uh, you know, the kind of the simplicity of it and the perfection of it. You know, it's that lovely bit of gin. You get this, the martini and the campari. You know, all together, it's such a bold, big flavour. And actually, it's one of those drinks that I, I used to kind of wait for an occasion to enjoy a Negroni. But now, 
I just think every occasion, it's Negroni time all the time. And actually in the, in the book, I've got the Negroni Sbagliato, which is a, a happy mistake when uh, a barman actually replaced the <laughs> yeah, with, with, yeah, with sparkling wines. And so it's, uh, it's one of those cocktails that's just a sort of a, effectively like a long Negroni. But I think what I'm pleased to see over the years, actually, is that those flavours have come back, those more bitter flavours, those more challenging flavours, the bigger, intense flavours. Uh, for a long time, it was lots of fruit juice in cocktails, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I like a sweet cocktail as well. Uh, I'm probably began life, you know, enjoying a Malibu and pineapple, like, like, like most kids. That's my age in the 1980s, growing up in the UK. But these days, those flavours, I think what it is, I like the history and tradition of those bitter flavours, but I really like the fact they sort of, I don't know, they kind of intensify my appetite. So it's the, it's the bold tang they leave on the palate that just makes me feel like I'm totally ready for either a meal or a big night out, or in most cases, both. Now, you have one chapter total, totally dedicated to a name I didn't recognise, although I sort of knew about it all the time, called Aperol. That's oh, yeah, Aperol. Page 52. Yeah. The Negroni is sort of a yeah. good sachet into Aperol. Absolutely. And Aperol, you know, for a long time, just never really kind of hit, hit our shores here in the UK. I don't know if it's uh, washed around the world successfully yet, but, but it's here now and it's here in a big way. And I, I remember on a trip to Italy, we're talking probably 10, 15 years ago, um, I remember it was, it was in Venice, and I was watching people enjoying these great big bowls, enormous great wine glasses filled with a sparkling orange glory, and asking what it was. And they said, oh, it's an Aperol Spritz. So I thought, yes, please, I'll have one of those and make it, make it snappy. It's a cooling, fruity, refreshing, beautiful drink. And Aperol is rather like sort of, it's almost like a sort of sweeter incarnation of Campari, but it just goes so well with the fruity character of Prosecco. And, you know, you splash a little bit of soda in there as well and oh what a drink just fantastic italy and cocktails sitting in a piazza wow i just think you know that's the other great thing about cocktails you do travel by the glass with them you know you can have you know something italian or you might have i remember one of the great drinks i came back from portugal with was a white port and tonic uh and it just took me right back there you know if, if you enjoy gin and tonic get your hands on some white port treat it in the same way as you would your gin top it up in the glass a wonderful wonderful drink yeah, we we had a wine tasting uh, with this chef who's Portuguese, and uh, he had really the most interesting white wines. And just it, not my taste because they're a little on the sweet side, but uh, you know he paired them up really nicely. So I don't think yeah. the Portuguese wines get enough attention actually. I totally agree with you. I, I love the, the Portuguese wines. I mean, people know about port and they've probably had some Madeira. But you're, you're spot on. There's so many good white wines. And actually, you know, beyond the Douro Valley where they make port, places like the Dow, you know, have fantastic, fantastic wines. I mean, really good red blends. And there's a, a great variety out there uh, called Arintu, which is a white grape. And you can find it if you're ever around Lisbon. It, it's a little little place nearby called Buchelas. And Arintu makes these white wines that are just so piercing and beautiful. If you imagine, you know, things like Chablis or something like that that you might have had, but really, really good quality. And the greatest thing of all, they're such good value. I mean, literally, a handful of euros will get you a bottle. And my goodness me, just the most refreshing white wine in the world. Have you guys actually tasted much uh, English wine? Because I'm, I'm talking to you from Sussex here, and uh, 
we, we haven't. We haven't. Have my, my, my wife is not so keen. All I can say is they're improving by the day. So next, next time I'll have to send you Yeah, that's another. true. I mean, that's, I always keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, a place in, there's a place in Devon which is which gets pretty good rating, I think. And there's one in Kent as well. Yeah, there's a, yeah, that's it. Yeah, there's a few. There's Hushheath in Kent and Lion Bay down in, uh, on the Devon borders. And yeah, there's, there's some good ones. Camel Valley down in Cornwall and where I am in Sussex. Is, uh, there's a few now. There's kind of Hoffman and Rathbone, Breaky Bottom, Ridgeview, Nightember. It's definitely coming on stream with the sparkling ones. Uh, red ones are obviously, you know, trickier. Yeah, no, a, but they, they, they've really made a dent in with the uh, sparkling ones. Yes, they really have, yeah, and it's it's great to see, actually, because it's, um, you know, who knew? I mean, even 10 years ago, when I moved up, <laughs> 20 years ago, and vineyards galore. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe, maybe, but certainly, actually, this year, I'm, I, I, today I'm talking to you, and we have one of those wonderful late summer days, and, and it's warm, it's really misty and beautiful, but it's really warm, and the grapes are loving it. I've actually got about six or seven vines in my garden just to keep my eye oh, on really? how the harvest goes. Oh, so I can, go. Well, yeah, because I kind of want to feel a sense of kinship with all the wine producers and wine growers here in the UK because, you know, I write about booze and I talk about wine a lot, but I like to have a bit of skin in the game so that I can see how my grapes are going and when I make my tiny symbol full of wine at the end of every vintage, I can feel, ah, oh, I'm part of a team, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a great feeling. <laughs> now, let, let's talk about the Fizz for Feasts chapter. Yes, it's a feast. I think, it, well, I think the, it, for me, if you're, if you're going to have a meal, um, lovely digestif with lots and lots of flavor. Uh, you know, it's not just about something before a meal. You can have something, you know, something afterwards. So if you're after something a little bit, you know, sweeter and richer and creamier, something like it, an Eaton Fizz. Eaton Fizz, I named after the Eaton Mess dessert, which is basically sort of crushed red fruits and, and meringues. And the Eaton right. Fizz does a very similar job with a, a little bit of, cream in there with a bit of pink sparkling wine and then you've got strawberries and raspberry gin and it is one of those luxurious almost like a sort of dessert in a glass but it's just fantastic and if you want something you know a little more spicy then remember the 5th of november that's a big big kind of evening here in the uk we have lots of fireworks and everybody has a bonfire on a cold night outside so i've got my my ginger ale uh, reduction in there and that's pretty nice and spicy and that that boosted all the flavors of the prosecco and apples so it's more of an autumnal flavor and then booze three nothing but a butter beer who doesn't love harry potter and they're always drinking i have that day uh, funnily enough i'm open at page 60 right now <laughs> hey, there we go yeah so that's actually yeah that's 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 a great one for the, for the whole family actually because there's no alcohol in it and it's uh it just has that it does have that lovely kind of buttery caramelly coffee flavor to it and it's just gorgeous because everybody can enjoy it and when it frosts up it's a bit of a party piece and it's just a bit of fun we've got caramel syrup with again ale and ginger reduction bit of lemon juice and it's that whole egg shaken that that's what gives it the foam so i think often people are a bit afraid of using uh eggs in cocktails but actually if you're prepared to go for it they can be wonderful you know they really do fluff out almost like a like a sort of liquid meringue actually and it gives it a wonderful foaming character just feels so celebratory and really like a massive treat. I love it. Well, when, 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 I, when, I was a, when I was at Cambridge, I mean, everybody, everybody got to play intramural soccer and all the other sports for that matter because there weren't that many students around. 
and we we used to we used to quench our thirst with a shandy at half time. Cocktail named after her, called the Bassy. Chip. She did. 
the Batty Temple, exactly, yeah, which is a combination of uh, Shirley Batty and, uh, and, and indeed, yes, as you say, uh, Shirley Batty. Um, I, I think Shirley Batty is an amazing singer. Um, I, I was lucky enough once to see her. Uh, but it's, <laughs> it's just, uh, for those who kind of thinking, oh, I know the name Shirley Batty, what's she sung? Goldfinger, Moonraker, think James yes, Bond yes. and you've got Shirley Batty. But, but I thought Shirley Temple and Shirley Batty needed a cocktail uh, together. Oh, yeah, you know, okay, well, own... that's great. Yeah, she has her own cocktail, but I thought the the the, the Batty Temple, as I called it, uh, you know, yeah, I'm open to that page. Oh, splendid! Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 a fun kind of. Uh, I think it's in disco, actually. Is it in the disco section? I'm pretty sure. Um, because it should be. <laughs> if it isn't in there, I want to know the reason why. Uh, because Tom, it is on page one. It's on page one one six. That's all I know. <laughs> it's in disco. It is the Batty Temple. There it is. Yes, it is. Um, and it is. Yeah, it's full of flavour, but you know, obviously minus the booze. Um, but yeah, I think I think iconic cocktails named after people is great fun. You know, and, and you know there are various dishes over the years, and you know, indeed alcohol, Napoleon brandy, and you know, peach melba. There's so many different things that have been named after people. Beef Wellington. I, I, I just think it's, it's, it's high time that everybody had their own cocktail. I think I would encourage everybody listening to create a cocktail <laughs> of their dreams. That's your mission today. Go into the world, find a flavour you love, and then just name it after yourself. And just insist that wherever you go in the world, just order it at every bar. And if they don't know what it is, show them and try and get it on their menu. There's a, there's a challenge for you. Sing it yeah. Well, sweetheart, what, what's the cocktail that was, that was named for Harry's Bar in Venice? Was 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 a big oh, yeah, how is the um, Bellini? You've got the yeah, the Bellini. Yeah, the Bellini with the peaches and yeah, it's a, and, and again, you know the, the the heritage and history of where these cocktails came from. That's another bit of fun, isn't it? Really, I mean, you know, yeah. I, I do love the flavors and I do take time over all the proportions and the method. But actually, you know, they all tell their own little story in a way. You know, you kind of pair flavours from certain seasons together, textures that go well together. But it's the mood of the cocktail that really does convey something that you can't really replicate. So that's, again, why I've divided the chapters up into the sections I have, whether it's holidays at home, disco, apero, or, or easy classics. It, it, it just delivers a certain mood. And, 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 yeah, forever I'll be grateful to the world of booze for just unlocking those special moments. Yeah. Well, listen, it's been great talking to you, Molly Smith. Uh, listeners, again, the book is called Fizz, and um, it's it's about really having a good time um, with the, both alcoholic and non-alcoholic cocktails and mocktails, and the various occasions where you want to enjoy them. Um, the delight to talk to you, Ollie Smith, and uh, have Likewise. a great weekend ahead of you. Thank you so much, Peter, and it's absolutely lovely to talk to you both. Well, that does it again. Another one. Another, another week, another program. Yeah. And, uh, we should have counted them all. We should <laughs> do that somehow. Well, well, why would we do that? All we, all we would... keep announcing that they've written well, 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 a million well, words or they've spoken. We can make that a project for you to do in your spare time. In my spare time. In, in the meantime, since you'll have a lot of spare time between now and next Sunday when we... <laughs> present you with, with another on the menu program. What shall we say until then? Bye bye.